Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. My special guest tonight is acclaimed and internationally recognized poet and spoken word artist, Diana Binskin. Diana, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. All right. <laughs> well, let's begin this poetic journey. Diana, what is yeah. poetry? Um, to me, poetry uh, is an art, and the material used, real or fictitious, um, is used to tell a story while at the same time you try to reflect social realities. Tell me more about the social realities. Break that down for me. Social realities such as that are, for lack of a better word, endemic, pandemic, the racism the, that you know, exists among, especially towards my people. I, I'm an African woman, eh? So okay. I, I see it firsthand. So I, I, the realities of some of my poetry reflect what I see and what I have mm-hmm. experienced myself. Okay, okay. Mm. I like that definition. Read it to me again, please. Okay. Poetry is an art, and the material used, real or fictitious, mm-hmm. is used to tell a story while at the same time reflecting social reality. Used mm. a story, real or fictitious. And that's true. So based on what you know about the world, based on what you know about poetry, why is it important? Poetry is important. Um, for me as a little laugh, you know, it helped me to develop critical thinking and analytical skills. The, you know, use the uh, similes and the metaphors and the enjabments and if I want to go with a sufera or not. Uh, poetry is important at two levels. It is important at the individual and societal level. In terms of the individual, it uh, provides the poet with a, a medium for self-expression of their thoughts and ideas. And, mm-hmm. and this places them in a, a kind of a unique role of a teacher and a motivator. At the societal level, um, the, the works of a poet can promote understanding and tolerance along with the, the building or promotion and strengthening of brotherhood, sisterhood. What does tolerance mean to you? There's so many definitions of that word. What does it mean to you, tolerance? Uh, <laughs> You you we, we, we you need to you need to be able to tolerate each other. Um, <laughs> you may you may be residing with a partner that has a bad habit, okay. nothing detrimental, financial or health wise, mm-hmm. but you love the person so you know mm-hmm. you tolerate them, you know, and you hope that they come out of their folly right. eventually. 
Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Please share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language has power. Okay. Um, the poetic language is um, it's utilized by poets to make the poem appear richer and more mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. Poetry was one of the required classes at school as an as early as elementary school. We had, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Jack and Jills and the West Indian Reader. And uh, one, one fellow that stands out with me is um, William Wordsworth. I, I wandered lonely as a cloud uh, uh, against the hills and vales, and all at once I saw uh, a host of golden daffodils. I can't remember the whole thing now. But and right. I also, too, I, I come from a culture where calypso is one of the dominant forms of music. Mm-hmm. Rhyming galore, you know, songs are poetry, right? and, um, you know, that's what I, you know, about poetry. Right. Okay. Your book, Once Upon a Pandemic, what inspired mm-hmm. it? Uh, I've always liked to write, and mm-hmm. I, I could be somewhere and somebody could say something, I see something, and I'm like, oh, I, I got the starting mm-hmm. line for a poem. Um, there was nothing to do. We all were locked inside. And uh, I, I, I fortunately got a, a, a thing from the CLI, a scholarship from CLI's uh, Community Literature Initiative. So I was happy with that. And I, you know, it encouraged it, gave me writing prompts and encouraged me to write. So there was nothing to do during the pandemic. So <laughs> I buckled down and I said, let me finish this book. Let me, mm-hmm. you know, put all my thoughts down cohesively mm-hmm. in the, in this book. Prior, so what is the qualitative difference between what you shared prior to the pandemic and what you share now? Is there a difference? Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, prior to the pandemic, I, I, I tapped lightly and gently around mm-hmm. issues because I was mm-hmm. afraid of, of um, you know, uh, angering anyone. Or, yeah. you know, making anyone feel uncomfortable. Because some of my pieces are militant in, in, in style. And I've, mm-hmm. been, I've been compared to a fellow like Amiri Baraka. All right. So I, I, I can be militant in my pieces, but I can also be soft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you write about primarily? What are some of the themes? Well, I usually... In, in my work, uh, some of the predominant themes, I hope, mm-hmm. are conveyed are anti-all racism, okay. historical and enlightenment. So anti-racism, historical, or historical and enlightenment. And enlightenment. Okay. Yeah. What does that mean? I know the anti-racism Which piece, one? but the historical and the enlightenment. That's I like that. Tell me more. Because I, I, when I'm writing and I discuss a piece, I want to write something, you know, I might discuss it with colleagues of mine. And a mm-hmm. colleague of mine mentioned to me, do you know the first ship that set sail with slaves was the Jesus of Lubeck? And I was <laughs> like, no, I didn't know that. So I found a way to incorporate it in my poem. All right. All right. It's kind of a nugget I'm dropping in the poetry. Okay. So tell me about the enlightenment piece. Where does that fit? 
And talk about that. Uh, talk about, um, you know, there's a bleaching uh, co- uh, practice among some of our women, and, you know, from different countries. I want yes. to enlighten them. You know, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're beautiful mm. just the way you are. Your nappy okay. hair, your, mm-hmm. your natural hair is, is wonderful. So I mm-hmm. try to enlighten folks, you know. Through your poetry. To, to, All right. Yeah. All right. Please share a poem. Okay, I will start off tonight with a soft piece. The poem was uh, uh, prompted uh, when one of uh, my, um, my professors, I would say, told me to marry the last thing I held, I touched, the last thing I touched with my favorite movie um, star, my favorite actor. And I came up with this, The Poet's Crush. Long, lean, and smooth. I yearn for our moments together so much. Your fluids are ignited by my touch. You possess the ability to capture my every thought that begins in my imagination so that I may record them for the present and future generations. Black as coal is the fluid that flows from your singular orifice as I hold you snugly with a closed fist. I'm holding you today, tomorrow to hold you again, I just may, unless I've misplaced you. I will continue to hold you. That is easy to do. Your perpetual erect state, purposely designed ergonomically for you to deposit your fluids on my blank slate. Whenever we are in close proximity, one touch and together we create magic. We embark on a journey. Filled with ecstasy to a climatic end on you, I can always depend to help me convey my inner thoughts in a lyrical way. I pray of your fluids you never run dry. Then a new you I will have to buy. Until then, with joy, my body will reverberate, continue to deposit your fluids on my blank slate. And peace. All right. May I ask who the who the actor is, your favorite actor? Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. So, so can I ask you a question? Of course you can. Can I ask you a question? What do you think I wrote about? You talked about blank slate. So I assumed you were writing about the fact that, this is just my interpretation, that when two people come together, you start over. And you, I guess, release past issues and you grow together through the, through the blood. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but then that was my interpretation. I don't know. Tell me. Okay, well, um, I was actually writing about a black ballpoint pen. <laughs> oh, but wait a minute. <laughs> you said <laughs> that you were asked to write about the last thing you touched and your favorite actor. That is what you said. I married them. I married them. So I married uh, his qualities with the book. I, I, I fooled you, didn't I? Yes, you did. So you got to say it again. You got to say it again. 
I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> I was just settling Come in. Come on, so. Doctor Ingram. Scared it again now. <laughs> you, you want me to perform it again? Yes. Oh, I yeah. rarely have people ask me questions, so <laughs> and I don't like getting them wrong. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> he talking about a pen, okay. and then I'm talking about the blood and all that stuff. Say it again, <laughs> please. Okay, long, lean, and smooth. I yearn for our moments together so much. Your fluids are ignited by my touch. You possess this ability to capture my every thought that begins in my imagination so that I may record them for the present and future generations. Black as coal is the fluid that flows from your singular orifice as I hold you snugly with a closed fist. I'm holding you today, tomorrow to hold you again. I just may, unless I've misplaced you, I will continue to hold you. That is so easy to do. Your perpetual erect state purposely designed ergonomically for you to deposit your fluids on my blank slate. Whenever we are in close proximity, one touch and together we create magic. We embark on a journey filled with ecstasy to a climatic end. On you, I can always depend to help me convey my inner thoughts in a lyrical way. Pray of your fluids. You never run dry. Then a new you I will have to buy. Until then, with joy, my body will reverberate as you continue to deposit your fluids on my blank slit. Oh, that's not the poem you read the first time. (laughs) (laughs) That is not the poem you read the first time. (laughs) Because the first time, (laughs) Uh it was about a blank slate Two of y'all coming mm-hmm. together in the blood. <laughs> well, I'm glad you interpreted that this way. I threw you for a loop. So. You, oh, you got me. Let's talk to you in dialogue. Of course, you'll never be invited back, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I might be kidding. I don't know. All right. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank You're you. Thank you. I was feeling kind of mm-hmm. low, so that brought my spirits back up. Thank you. I needed to laugh. All right. Okay. All right. So when you decided to publish your book, how did you go about mm-hmm. selecting the poems? What did you do? How did you select them? I, I tried to um, write, select things that uh, have an endemic issue or a pandemic issue attached to them. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the global warming issue, the... Judicial killings of African Americans, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I tried to write on things that I saw that were endemic and pandemic, and you know, was affecting society. You know, I did uh, some jovial pieces. I have some mm-hmm. militant pieces, and I have some soft pieces. Okay, all right. Please share another piece. Okay, I am going to share this one. Okay, it's called, you know, there's a syndrome. Uh, have you heard the, 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 the saying, angry black woman? Yes. Okay. So I sat and I was an angry black woman. Why Why should I be angry? What makes me mm. angry? You okay. know? And so I can I'm going to perform it the way I do it when I'm on stage. All right. Fantastic. I'm not angry. 
in a world that particularly doesn't like me, where in your state of white fragility, I am forced to get sassy because rage is too risky, and I am met with scrutiny if I dare to speak loudly. I'm not angry. That my hair defies gravity, where I've been brainwashed to look like Rapunzel because to you my kinky hair is not well. I'm not angry. That I'm more likely to die during cyber, a statistic that cuts into my well-being and worth. I'm not angry. That you are more afraid of me and not for me. I'm not angry. At the exclusion, at the white privilege unquestioned. I'm not angry. That I'm overrepresented in your penal institutions, yet underrepresented in your Fortune 500 corporations. I ain't angry. That I live under the rule of racial and gender hierarchy when others are praised for their passion, but I'm penalized for perceived aggression. I ain't angry because I'm the one who's so often under threat and a judicial bullet could be the cause of my death. I'm not angry that I face more horrific violence and trauma, yet snow-white victims are plastered all over the media. Barely any coverage for me, missing Cinderella. I'm not angry. Don't know who to thank because... I'm targeted by that unscrupulous bank. I'm not angry. That female, my female anger is portrayed unreasonable, overbearing, and too much to handle. I'm not angry about your negative assumptions of me, the black woman, that I become hostile without provocation if I show anger a normal human emotion. I'm not angry. You don't find it logical that I am barred from realizing my true potential because of my black-sounding name or domicile location that results in rejection of a job application. And if I do get the employment, I am forced to make a dollar from 80 cents. I'm not angry, can you tell? I am mad, you hear me? Mad as hell! That was an extremely powerful piece and extremely timely. I say that as being a black man who has been described in the past as being an angry black man. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my militant pieces. Yes. And I honestly, I don't even view it as being militant. I view it as you speaking your truth. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And people need to hear your truth. You hear theirs and validate Mm -hmm. theirs. They need to hear yours and validate yours. To me, that's where empathy Mm -hmm. comes in. Yeah, more understanding. And I try to to put the the issues in there that affect us as black women. You know, we're more likely Mm -hmm. to die in childhood. I I do a lot of research and reading, you know, credible articles and stuff before I decide to extrapolate the salient points that I want to put in my poem. So what does writing do to you, Diana, as a thinker? How does it give okay, you time uh, to reflect? Talk to me. Uh, okay. I'm, I, want, I must go back to my childhood, which was a okay. very 
difficult childhood. I, I, have, I have emerged from extremely challenging circumstances, uh, right. including abuse and neglect and reject and you name it. And writing was my, the fantasy world. I would write, climb the mango tree and write what I saw. I had a little book of poetry that I used the paper bag. You know the paper bag that you bring groceries in that kind of paper? Yes. And I made mm-hmm. a little binder, but I, it was burnt because the person in the household had no appreciation for me and my works and stuff like that. So uh, writing, uh, you know, I, I like to write. Okay. I, I came to the United States of America with mm-hmm. a dream in my heart. I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I wanted to be a TV broadcaster, <laughs> you know, but I was <laughs> told that uh, the world <laughs> isn't ready for my accent. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So where do you hail from, Diana? Originally, I was born in the Twin Republics of Trinidad and Tobago in a village called Page. I grew up uh, in the environment. I was sent back to Barbados to my parents' homeland to be raised with my maternal uh, grandmother after my mother abandoned me in a box. I wrote a story about my life per Aduad after sent me back to Barbados, and mm-hmm. I was raised there from about uh, maybe three or four months till I was about nine, nine years old. Then I was mm. jettisoned back to Trinidad and to, to meet the woman whom I didn't know was my mother for a mm-hmm. very long time until I turned 14 or 15. And um, my life was wrought with a lot of co-verbal emotional abuse from this woman. And mm. um, uh, when I met my biological father at age 19 or 20, he said, um, don't bother him. He ain't got nothing to give me. Leave mm. him alone. And he, she died. Now he's alive. And he still mm. rejects me. I did have mm. therapy to deal with it because I realized I wasn't handling life well. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I tell people, if your parents reject you, that's a, that's a pill the size of a watermelon to swallow, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you should feel accepted by those who created you. And I had to find ways to cope. I still find ways to cope. It's, you know, I've been diagnosed with PTSD. Yes. And I sing karaoke or I write whenever my brain is going down that road. Because mm-hmm. you can't shut your brain off, you know. So mm-hmm. I write, mm-hmm. I read, I karaoke to, make, to take my brain off that highway to go into a, a, mm. a, a moody, depressive state. Yeah, wow. You know. This month is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and one mm-hmm. of the causes that at this particular on this particular podcast that we champion is mental health awareness. And we have a program coming up at the end of the month that touches on okay. that topic. So therapy, whatever it takes to assist you on your journey and help mm-hmm. you find a sense of harmony and peace, I believe, is critically important. And, and those around you, you know, there's some people, are, oh, you're going down that road again, forget that now. But I try, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I try to explain to persons, persons mm-hmm. that, that live with PTSD, you don't mm-hmm. tell your brain to go there. You know, think it's in your e- ego and your id and your superego, those per- personalities that are under, under, you know, 
subconscious, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I might have a bad dream of an episode with her, and I wake up feeling moody and irritable and have to find a way to work through the day. Wow. Sometimes it's very difficult to do. Yes. But I wean myself off the medications because they mm-hmm. make you put weight on. So okay. I try to find practical ways to cope. Mm. You know, as someone who also deals with PTSD and depression and a bunch of other things, I've been working on a book for the last 15 years, and the title is How to Cope When Your Mind mm. Does Not Love You. Mm. That sounds like a nice poem. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I might even write it for you. Because mm-hmm. if your mind is not for you oh. and is against you, it seems, mm-hmm. it's a very tough way to live. Yeah. And I, I tell am? people, do, yes, go ahead, sir. No, no, please, talk to me. I tell people, don't dismiss a person, you know, telling you, well, I don't feel well today. You know, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, you know that, because I worked in corporate America for a long time, eh? Yes. and I had bad days because I had bad nights. Mm-hmm. But the managers you work with, they, they didn't care. They mm-hmm. just saw you as combative. Yes. And I wasn't trying to be combative. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't sleep all night because I was having bad dreams and then I barely got two hours sleep and I got to get up and go function for eight mm-hmm. hours. Impossible mm-hmm. to do. And then you're yes. harping down my neck. So people yes. need to manage persons and their illness. And even mm-hmm. with, in relationships, people get tired of you. you yes. know, they, 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 yeah, they don't know how to deal with you. So. Mm-hmm. Please share a poem. Please share a poem. Definitely. So I'm going to share a jovial piece. And the inspiration behind this piece was, I find uh, after the COVID, a lot of people found themselves upside down financially. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and in the class I was in, the, the, my teacher said, I want you to write a poem about and may and personify an inanimate object. Personify an inanimate object. So I made money, my boyfriend. There we go. I'll do it in my colloquial West Indian style also. Where are you money? Oh God, I miss you so much, honey. I don't know what I did, but the last time I saw you was before COVID. It's been so long, money, my honey. Tell me, what did I do wrong? This guy named Bill keeps showing up at my door. I think he and the mailman, Will, they're two of friends. They come to my house every day at four days, but Will, he leaves. Money, honey, I'm begging you, please. Bill says he's going to take all my possessions. And he got an annoying female friend named Collection. She ain't have no kind of discretion. Money, honey. Please come back. Don't let that happen. What do you think the nosy neighbors would say? Now you done up and gone your separate way. I can't get my hair or my nails done. Money, honey, that ain't no fun. Bill, he got more of his friends coming, and they ain't joking. I'm sitting here in the dark all alone. They're about to turn off my phone. The landlord making noise for the rent. And my so-called friend is Piggy. She banking have... Not one red cent. Money, please come back. I promise I won't do you wrong. Honey, I please, I ain't had a three-piece meal in so long. 
If you come back to me, I promise you, baby, I'll treat you more frugally. I won't disregard the warnings of your cousin's credit and card. I promise for the rest of my life, I will never put you under the bottom of a dice. Nah, don't listen to that no good friend of mine, Weed. To burn in hell is what he need. He always try, you know, that ain't no lie. And that deceitful liar named Liquor, when I'm feeling blue because I miss you, she always knocking on my door with a glass in her hand. Here, have some more. Money, honey, listen to me. That baby cousin, Lotto, with his false promises of a showing, believe you me, I finally learned gambling is a sin. Money, honey, my sugar dumpling, can't we stop all this fussing and fighting and talk about reuniting? I'm listening, my head hurting, there you go making all them demands on me, a poor broken woman. Money, my honey, without you I'm lost. Can't buy the things I need the most. Money, honey, please come back home. I feel helpless and so alone. Don't force me to start a relationship with your family, your rich Uncle Henry. You know the one that is called loan? I will see you shortly, yeah? You know where it is, leave the spare key? And peace. Oh. <laughs> Growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, Mm-hmm. How did that experience shape your writing as an adult? Mm, that's a very nice question. Well, we have we have some prominent writers like like Paul, Samuel Selvon, George Lamming, you know, and we mm-hmm. were, I was exposed to their literature at an early age, and I love to read. I love I I, I have a cousin of mine now. She tells me. When I was young and I'd go visit her, I would have three books at a time trying to read them all at once. <laughs> and it, I, I thanked my maternal uncle for that. He, it, it was like he knew I would only be with him a short while, and he was a teacher, and he, 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 you know, he instilled in me the love of reading, the love of speaking, the, the, to speak properly, uh, good mannerisms and, and stuff, which I still carry with me today. So I, I love reading, and um, I think that's what, and I, you know, I like to write, and that's what got me to where I'm at today. You know, you beat me to my question. I usually ask, excuse me, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Is there anyone else there that you view as a writing uh, influence, poets? Of course, I cannot go without mentioning Maya Angelou, right. um, Khalil, you know, her style, you know, mm-hmm. her rhyming style, and she always has a, a message in there for you. Uh, there's a guy called Gil Scott Heron. Yes. You know, he has a kind of a, a revolutionary, you know, kind of way about him. And um, Khalil Gibran, mm-hmm. Nikki Giovanni, uh, Langston Hughes. Phyllis Wheatley. All right. You know, we're going to take a brief break. But there's a question I'd like you to answer when we return. I'll share it with you now. Okay. Is a poem, is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Okay. We'll be right back.
I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Diana Benskin. Diana, I asked you a question before the brief break. Is a poem mm-hmm. letting you guard down or build a wall? Tell me. Well, that might be so for one of those two for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, in instances for me, yes. um, it's pla- it places me in a vulnerable position where I have to talk about a sensitive subject. But okay. I, don't, I don't call it letting my guard down. I, I, call, I, I stare at the issues right in the eye and the face, and I face it head on. This allows mm. me to create the provocative pieces that I do. Because mm. if, you, if, you, if you feel inhibited, if you're, you're going to let your guard down, or if you feel that you're going to be inhibited and build a wall, then, you know, why are you writing it in the first mm-hmm. place, you know? So, well, yeah. let me ask this. Based mm-hmm. on what you know about the world, does it uh-huh. hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Mm-hmm. Um. Depending on the topic, the issue. Okay. Like there's okay. a piece I wrote about bleaching. It hurts me that I have to find a way to convey to my sisters and brothers that are bleaching their skin. That's mm-hmm. not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? And mm-hmm. I have. It hurts me that I have to mention my, you know, locks, my natural hair, you know, because sometimes, you know, now yeah, they're more accepting of it, but. In the past, you know, you felt brainwashed as though you had to look like Rapunzel. Yes. Yes. Would you share the poem about bleaching or one of the others where you address some of these issues? I'd love that. Okay. Okay. I have it tagged, but where exactly is it tagged? That's okay. (laughs) Yes. Skin bleaching. Let me look in my, um, in my, uh, what you call it? (laughs) And see where I put it. I have it tied, but I don't okay. it. Take your time. I'm really mm-hmm. enjoying talking to you. I really, I like your spirit. Thank I like you. your way of being. I mean, you're very impressive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, it's number 1616. And here we go. In bleaching. Hey there, sister, brother, you with the complexion, coffee, chocolate, and mocha. Didn't anyone ever tell you you're a beautiful sight to see you, distracting Aphrodite, a Nubian beauty made for the world to see? No need to bleach your skin. Those darker shades, they protect you from within. Bleaching is for clothes, not for those who God has blessed with skin that sparkles made to be kissed and caressed. Hey there, sister, I'm here to tell you the benefits of the darker skin color. The hole in the ozone layer makes the sun burn hotter. Hey there, sister, brother, don't you know your skin color? Chocolate, coffee, mocha is your protector. The inner dermis those damaging rays cannot reach. But if you continue to bleach, your coffee, chocolate, and mocha will become weaker and you, my sister, can be sticker. I'm here to tell you. Love your skin color, chocolate, coffee, mocha. You're spectacular just the way you are. Hey there, sister, brother. Please stop the bleaching, won't you? And peace. Wow. 
Such an important topic. So, Diana, how would yes. you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? What was the first one? As a creative gift or an art? Yes, yes. Gift or art. I believe it's a combination of both. Okay. Because I said I've been writing since I was small, and I used it as a safe place to go to. But mm-hmm. when you're writing now, you 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 know, yeah, to get it to rhyme and to get the message in there and to keep the bars and the rhythm going and you know that's where the art is, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, it's a, for me, it's a combination of both. Wow, you know, I know that you've been acclaimed in the spoken word world. Tell me about mm-hmm. those experiences. How are they different? I guess from. I won't say regular poetry, but they are different because I'm a spoken word artist myself. How do you mm-hmm. how do you interact in that world? Uh, well, I I tend to gauge if I'm invited to an open mic, I mm-hmm. I go with my book and all you know everything, and I gauge the performances. I remember mm-hmm. one time I I heard about the Noirican Poets Cafe in Manhattan. Yes, yes, and I. I went there, I said, okay, well, let me go see, take, before the pandemic, and it was around when um, people were, it was near to come, election time coming up, so they wanted your vote. So I, I was inspired to write a piece, Your Golden Ballot, and I went up there, I said, let me go perform this. And mm-hmm. I was well received. So right. I came in second. Yeah. And that was a feat. You know, no, even Poets Cafe to conquer there and to be so high up. The young man that, um, uh, uh, you know, got the prize, he, he used some profanity in his in his pieces. So, you know, yes. but mm-hmm. I'm not one for profanity. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. You know, yeah. there is so much happening in our world. Mm-hmm. There's the good, the bad, the ugly as well as the indifferent. So Mm -hmm. what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Um, I believe the poet's role in society Mm -hmm. is to capture the pulse of current issues, bring awareness and clarity in an effort to promote understanding goodwill and peace and and you're recording them for future generations so you know in the event you know they pick up your book oh, this was going on in 2019 2020 you know so I, that's what mm-hmm. i think the role of my role as a poet is but i need to ask does anybody really want understanding and peace sometimes i don't know i just uh, don't know yeah, I, I I believe there's some, not not everybody. Don't can't say does anybody want. I believe there are some of us who want understanding and peace because we have okay. seen historically uh, the different wars that were fought and the outcome of those wars and conflicts. So why are we going to go down that road again when mm-hmm. we know what happens, right? So mm-hmm. I believe there's some of us. There's some people in the world want understanding and peace. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Please share a poem. Sure. Uh, I'm going to share a piece 
for I wrote it because I was I was I was very uh, annoyed at the way they treated um, Justice Ketanji Brown. Okay. And and I was clearing out my backdrop. You know, I do a virtual show, so I, mm-hmm. I went in a box that I had stuff I was trying to decorate this backdrop, and I was moving old stuff around. Put up, and in my box, I came across a plethora of films and um, books and stuff that I may have read up over the time or gifted to me, and you know, and it prompted me. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. To write a piece, uh, you know, and I call it a supreme novel journey. Before we were yours, we were kings and queens. Everything about us was supreme. Living in unity, free in our beloved country, till the Capture in the rye forced us to say goodbye to the motherland. With iron yokes on our necks and hands, we were gone with the wind. Stuck in the belly of the whale, the Jesus of Lubeck set sail as we lay dying. The Lord of Flies watched some of us die. For the survivors, no great expectation. As the Moby Dick beached on Treasure Island, no longer an African, now a mere commodity on display. The catcher, he gets his pay. We're sold on a Monday. Cinderella, queen from Africa, with a symbol is branded forever and trafficked. For this offense, there was no crime and punishment. Many children were born in the tropic of cancer. They're all the same in the dark. For centuries, we were forced to eat the grapes of wrath till things fall apart. There would be war and peace, prolonged pride and prejudice, but the roots of my bondage would finally cease to exist, and I could live freely in the castle of my skin. Wow. Do you think that poets should be required to write about current events or can they just write about rocks or trees or You should cats. be able to write on all trees. Wrong. <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> current events me. and wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you say both are important. Yeah. So when you, when you write a poem, who leads uh-huh. you or the poem? Who takes When I write poem? a poem, who, 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 who leads Elliot? Yes. Yeah, who leads the poem? Hmm. You or the poem? Who takes the impetus and says, hey, we need to do this? I let my, I let my Jehovah lead me. Mm. Because I believe, Talk to me. I'm in a, mm-hmm. I believe I'm in a ministry. And okay. in my ministry is to enlighten, motivate, stir those from their complacency. And, you mm-hmm. know, hey, this is, what, this is what's going on. We need, you look at what you're doing, you know, you can't go on this way. So I let, because I get inspiration like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, I sit mm-hmm. with a pen and a blank and a book next to me. So wow. any, as I open my eye, any inspiration, I put down the first line, and then I continue, you know, later on, and, you know, in the day or the week. Sometimes it takes me a while to, 
finish a piece that I want because I'm not satisfied with it. I read it over. I listen. You know, I stay still and listen mm-hmm. for a cue as to the direction to take the poem. <laughs> Has a poem you've written ever humbled or frightened you? Ah, humbled or frightened? Frightened? I don't think my work frightens individuals. Uh, no, I, I mean frightens you, you, not someone else, me? you. Yes, has it frightened or humbled you in any way? A poem that you've written. Yes. Mm. Frightened me. Hmm. Or humbled. I, I, humbled. I, I'm torn between the two because I, I'm inclined to say that it does both. Some of them do both. Okay, <laughs> All right. You know, I, I, I have to write this here because why? And mm. then, and when I see the outcome and the response to it, I am humbled. Okay. So you see, it might be both for me. All right. Do you have a poem like that you can share with us? Ah, humbled. I'm frightened. <laughs> oh boy. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's why they pay me the big bucks, Diana, to ask these kinds of questions. Mm. <laughs> so I'm going to. <laughs> I am going to read one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it humbled me and it frightened me because people will not believe that I was speaking about my paternal father, my biological okay. father. And I, I humbled myself because, you know, I, I was able to, uh, you know, like, not hold him dear in my heart. So I and I was frightened by that too, you know, like so but this is what I came up with. It's called the Living Ghost. I was asked to point out to my father at a funeral for his mother with a genuine face I pointed to an empty space. Confused the onlooker said, There's no one there. I said, yeah, that's what he's good at, to disappear. When I needed him the most, alive, yet he's a ghost. This invisible marathon runner who did not remain to help me plan my future, I've never seen him when I was sick at my bedside, nor was he there when I became a bride. This ghost, the result of a psychic death, whose name reluctantly crosses my breath. The ghost whose DNA I share, never in my vision did he appear. The empty space the ghost voluntarily chose to vacate, I use it now, my poetry, to create. My words are seen and spoken, not like the ghost, the spirit of a dead person. I chose from the ghost to untether, not worthy of the title father, or to remain psychologically entombed to a dead figure will render me a refugee of love forever. And peace. Wow. Diana, what do you think your work conveys about being human? 
That's my say that again, we broke up. Yes. What do you think your work conveys about being human? Hmm. My work um, I I try to capture you know, human human behavior. Okay. <laughs> Me being a human or the message in the poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. I, I I try to look at situations where I you know, habits, things that people do. So oh. right away you know it's humans I'm talking about. So a human behavior. I hope I answered the question. Let me think. <laughs> I think there's an answer in there somewhere. So when you write poetry, mm-hmm. it sounds like you want people to understand your experience mm-hmm. and also their own experiences in a sense. And enlighten them, yeah. And, and, and enlighten them. Yes, yes. yes, nuggets of truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe your work conveys that we all go through things. Yes. Some we share, some we don't. But there are times when the things that we go through need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Talk to me. How does that sound? Well, I, I yeah, you, you have to address things. I wrote a piece on um, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually, I, when I was growing up in the house, I saw it first time, you know, to okay. the woman who birthed me. I was never yes. um, violated by anyone, but I, okay. uh, domestically, you know. So I, 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 I tried to make it as real as possible mm. what happens and, and let them know in the domestic violence piece, this is what can happen. And if you mm-hmm. see it happening, you need to leave. It's not going to get better, you know. Mm. So mm-hmm. I, I tried to make it as not used to any big, you know, highfalutin words mm-hmm. <laughs> where people won't understand. And mm-hmm. um, I use my own life experiences uh, to put to, to you know write off of because I I, I wrote a piece that's called um, I'm not the applicant you expected so you know you mm-hmm. can go to an interview you can go into a bank to conduct business and then mm-hmm. you know they see your name until they see you you know you can see them looking kind of uneasy you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I try to use you know true life experiences and trans put it in my poetry so people can relate to it. Mm. You know, that, that really is all about accessibility mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. people ask the question, how hard did they work in terms of mental energy to solve a poem? Mm. Would you I, be willing I, to share? Okay, go. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I wanted to know, would you be willing to share either the poem about domestic violence or the one about the application? Okay, um, hmm. Uh, I'm not the applicant you expected. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, so this was inspired. I went into a bank to put my, I was purchasing a piece of real estate to put my portfolio in order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my first legal name is Waveney, but people tend to chop it up and call it Wayne. So when mm-hmm. I got to the bank, they came out and they announced, Mr. Wayne, you know, McDonald. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so I walked to him. I, I knew it's me they're looking for. And he looked at me. As, he said, can I help you? I said, yeah, you're looking for me. He said, no. So, and, and I started writing the piece in the bank there, and I came home. I finished it. So this is a piece called 
I'm not the applicant you expected. All right. And I, 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 I tailor it to suit other situations, job application, mm-hmm. job interview, you go in front of partners, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not the applicant you expected. You look surprised. What is it, my brown eyes? Perhaps my resume is too credible, so it must be stacked with lies. Now, now, you're looking kind of bedraggled as you cleverly craft an exit strategy from this debacle. Oh, I'm not the applicant you expected, but the laws, the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission enacted compels that the interview process be completed. Temperature of chicanery begins to rise. By my Caribbean dialect, you're slowly anesthetized. I'm aware I'm not the applicant you expected. Unable to esconce your haughty air, it is everywhere. It percolates like the black coffee in your white mug you love so much and remains pervasive. Confidently suited in your white privilege, wearing stellar credit as my badge, I came to get my 40 acres and a mortgage. Reduced to a beggar for that poetic quarter, your actions confirm that I am not the applicant you expected. You convey it very well, your state of nettle, that here is not a place I want to settle. My thick lips and wide hips, this skin rich in melanin, I might just not fit in. I'm not the applicant you expected for this customer service position. For me to be hired means reparation, restitution, and a bonus. Reckoning for the Black Holocaust, just to satisfy that federally mandated quota. When they ask you, ask why you dare come here, kinky mm-hmm. hair, given name, thick lips, wide hips, melanin skin, highly qualified. Application denied. Why? Because you're not the applicant we expected. In peace. Wow. Been there, done that one. Got the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> so you do write about real life experiences <laughs> yeah. oh, you do. so what I want to know is when we think about poets what do you think makes poets different from other people um, the, the, the way you write the way you mm-hmm. perform because I know a good poet in okay. my birth land of Trinidad and Tobago, mm-hmm. I, I like his work, but he's he's not a, he's very soft spoken and monotonal and uh, kind of boring when he does his. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said, mm, try to get him out of that, and and, and he, he really does write good pieces, mm-hmm. but he's not uh, dramatic uh, as me. I was asked by some of my classmates; they wanted me to read their poetry for them. I said, well, you're going to pay me a fee? So I think your style, the way you, you know, um, if you use enjambment, um, the way you perform. And mm-hmm. some of them, I might have my, put my colloquial dialogue in there to relate, mm-hmm. to, depending on the crowd I'm performing for. So you know, again, I think that makes you. Mm-hmm. All right. Again, you beat me to my question. Because, again, as I've listened to you, your voice is very distinct. You speak with Thank conviction, you. and there's a Thank resonance you. to your voice that is very strong. So what I wanted to 
And I will ask, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Uh, one talks to the other. Okay. I like that. Tell me more. Write, when I sit down to write, you know, yes. no, I, I want to emphasize this word here to myself, right? So mm-hmm. I, I guide my pen to, yeah, you have to, and then you have to count the stanzas and the bars and the, and I said, this is the way I want to do it. So in my, <laughs> my, my mind, I'm talking to myself, and myself is talking to my pen, guiding my pen or pencil. And mm-hmm. so you know, we all talk to one another to come up with my pieces. <laughs> okay. Please share with me the titles of five of the poems in your book. Okay. Titles of Once Upon a Pandemic. Um mm-hmm. Title five titles. I'm going to I could get it open here. Uh, uh, white privilege. Mm-hmm. I met George Floyd. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> once uh, seedling to sail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Portobello Road. Um. Jesus was an unarmed black man, too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My question is, Diana, what role should a title play in a poem? What do you consider when you're titling a poem? Well, it would entice the reader to like, oh, what? You know, <laughs> Jesus was an unarmed black man, too. I need to, I need to go in there and delve in, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> And you're right. Your titles are quite striking. <laughs> so for your book, is there a particular audience in mind when you write an ideal reader or listener? Uh, I, 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 I would like my book to be incorporated in the school diaspora up and down the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm trying, I, I, I'm trying to make plans next year to go to South Africa. I bumped. Uh, accidentally and by luck, I sat next to, uh, I think he's the president of the South Africa Business Chamber of Commerce, wow. and he mentioned to me an interest in taking my book to South Africa. So mm-hmm. I've, I've written where little children, can, I have some pieces, little children can perform, uh, adults. Uh, so I wanted up and down the, the Caribbean diaspora and mm-hmm. Africa area. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked you the micro question, no, excuse me, the macro question, what makes poets different from others? Now for you, what do you think makes you different from other poets? Other than I'm we're just onyx, all, all different. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the onyx wave. Um, and I have a unique way of capturing things and put it in a, a, a satirical way. I can right. poke satire, you know, at, at things too. And mm-hmm. um, my speaking voice, yes. uh, people are drawn in by my accent. So all those mm-hmm. things make me different. Yeah. Mm. You know, we've reached a part of the program that I view as being my favorite part. I view it as being a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you to share three of your works back to back, no interruptions from me. Diana, 
Okay. You're on the stage. Okay. Not today. Cat calls, rubbing your balls. Better look where you're walking, or you may fall in a ditch. Did I just hear you call me a bitch? What a shame. That is not my name. First date and you're late. Eyes focus on my chest. Damn, thickness, you're fine, like this glass of wine. He's like, I am on the menu with your behavior. This meal, you'll never savor. In the crowded elevator, you pinch my backside and breathe your carbon dioxide that travels down my spine, makes me clench my teeth and grind. Sitting on a train, looking out the wet window pane, from the corner of my eye, you invade my serenity with an unwelcome high. My nonverbal response clearly conveys goodbye. Your predator instincts make you think that you're entitled to treat me as prey. Not today. At the beach in my bikini, you had to hone in on me, half-naked fella, whose view of his toes and the earth is obstructed by his own girth. He offers to share his umbrella. I must remind him of Rihanna. Makes a carnal gesture to rub my skin, all the while with a devious grin. Offering me a drink from his glass, his eyes permanently fixed on my ass. Undressing me publicly, a favorite activity of the heterosexual male. With his cat calls, by rubbing his balls, looking where you look better, look where you're walking, or you might fall in a ditch. And my name ain't bitch. <laughs> Empty. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm going to do a piece, um, Mother Earth. Hello, is anybody listening? Mother Earth is choking. She's dying. For centuries, mankind has been reaping and taking and taking and not replacing. The ice caps in the Arctic are melting. Lands below sea level are sinking. That dust from the Sahara in the tropics keeps you cleaning forever. The Amazon is burning and is slowly depleting. Mother Earth can't breathe because we've cut down too many trees. With debris, the seas are now brimming because of mankind's habit of polluting. The fish, they too are sick from a belly full of plastic. These disposable masks do not all end up in the trash. They become a meal for the salmon and the seal. And if you dare to speculate, that salmon might end up on your dinner plate. With the amount of carbon dioxide emission, millions of species are threatened with extinction. The oceans are getting hotter. The hurricanes are more frequent and stronger. Climate change affects us all. No regard for the nation, big or small. Enact and enforce treaties to save future generations' lives. When Greta speaks, listen to her. She's wise. Mother Earth, she cries and cries when mankind continues with its careless behavior. Tossing his garbage here, there, wherever. Manufacturers, can you hear? Does anybody care? Hello, is anybody listening? Mother Earth is speaking. She's choking. She's dying. Please stop what you're doing. And uh, I'll leave you with uh, a jovial piece. I call it What If. So I sat down and I was, you know, playing around with, what if, what if this were this? And what if that were that? And I came up with this. What if Donna did not like the summer? And Stevie, he didn't wander. What if Anita was a baker? 
What if he were a real king and not just Martin Luther? What if we did not get hooked on the doctor's songs and Louis' arm was not strong? What if Sam was a cook and Benton was a puddle instead of a brook? Can you imagine if Rolls Royce was a Camry and Tupac was three? What if Barry was white and Al turned green and James was brown? Felt so bad, so he sung what he really means. What if Usain lost a boat and Brittany, she threw a spear? What if Donald could play the trumpet loud and clear? Suppose Billy had taken a holiday and Alicia, her keys were hidden away. If Morgan was not a freeman and Michael was Jack's son, he would be climbing a beanstalk, not mesmerizing us with his moonwalk. God forbid if earth, wind, and fire were dirt, breeze, and smoke, and the Commodores were the comma windows. If Whitney was Brooklyn, would she still be living? What if the carpenters were plumbers and Teddy was Penderbush? Would there still be a kind of hush? What if the Beatles were the ants? Would their melodies still make you want to dance? What if Holly was a berry? Would she have to be darker to be juicy? What if black ice was black water? Would you be thirsty for his rhymes and stanzas? If Prince's rain was purple, would you get wet when it drizzled? What if Malcolm was D and Kanye went east and Medgar, well, he was never? What if Rosa had a car to park and Oprah was unable to talk? If Billie Jean was a queen and the group queen was never heard or seen? What if Taylor was swift? then she would be a runner, not a gifted and talented singer. The onyx wave is trying to say history could have been written another way. And peace. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Do you see yourself as more of a storyteller or wordsmith? Mm-hmm. Which one? Uh, oh, a bit of both. A bit of both. Yeah. Tell me why. Tell me why. <laughs> because you know, I I do my rhyming style and what mm-hmm. I talk about. Uh, you know what's going on, and I I don't do the sonnets and the classical type of poetry. I can do it if I try. You know, I'm trying right. to do that now. But I, mm-hmm. I I'm more of a storyteller, a spoken word artist, and some poems in there. You know, I'm a poet. Mm. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? I love music, and I've always displayed a propensity to be creative. Okay. Uh, the love of reading, as I said, was instilled and nurtured and encouraged me from an early age by my maternal uncle. And if these are the fodder to raise a poet, then yes, I am a poet I was destined to be. <laughs> what surprises you most? Diana, about being a poet slash spoken word artist. What surprises you? Well, I don't want to sound vain. All right. What surprises me, uh, you know, I've been compared to the greats like Amiri, Mm. Daniel Smith, when I speak, Maya Angelou, Nina Simone, you know, she was a piece of poet herself too. And and I, I was afraid to release my work because I was like, ain't nobody want to hear your your, you know, your, your jumblings and your rantings and your rhyming. But when I did share on social media, a very good colleague of mine, uh, he said, um, 
Yeah, go for it. Yeah, write, write more. Write more. So I, I continued, and I, you know, a friend of mine, she invited me to a show, and I did two pieces, and I was well-received, and, and someone told me whenever I'm, I'm performing, you can hear a pin drop. No one mm. talks there. Everybody's drunk. So mm. I, I, I'm surprised at that and humbled by it also. All right. You know, we've reached the end of our poetic journey. Already. But would, you be, <laughs> <laughs> would you be willing to share one more of your pieces before we go? Okay. Uh, how much time do we have, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I plan to invite you back. It was a secret. But I plan to invite you back for part two. So oh, <laughs> you okay. can save some of the next time if you're willing to come back. <laughs> All right. So I, this piece um, was written, um, you had to write uh, something about love. Okay. So I said, um, you know, where is Cupid? I'm trying to know where love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel where love is. I know you can show me. Why doesn't Cupid know my name? Or did he shoot his arrow my way and crooked was his aim? When I was 20, I thought I found my Cupid, but he aimed his arrow at her and not me. I was stupid. Love, they say, you call you Valentine, but I hear you bewitching and can cast a spell on the mind. Love, are you warm and fuzzy? Do you make me feel weak and dizzy? Are you hidden on a menu or disguised in my favorite pair of shoes? Love, how will I know you? Did I swipe left when I should have swiped right? Did I pass you Cupid, a stranger in the night? He is like an eternity and true love still evades me. To meet you Cupid, I have become slated. I'm convinced he does not exist for me and maybe he lost his way when I was 20. Finding love has always been a puzzle. Try to navigate it now wearing this muzzle and standing six feet apart. How is Cupid's arrow supposed to pierce a heart? To find love, you could end up being sick. Cupid out there mingling with others during a pandemic, then bringing his spent arrow like a needle to vaccinate, aiming for your heart to inoculate with antibodies of love potion number nine. Injected with COVID vaccine, maybe my true love I'll find. I'm so in love with you. Whatever you want to do is all right with me. And peace. Oh, Dinah, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because staying silent is not an option. You write. Staying silent is not an option. Mm. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Where can people find your book? Um, you can, uh, Diana Benskin book at gmail.com. Or you mm-hmm. can friend, send me a friend request on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, Diana Benskin, you know, and uh, I will respond. I'm trying to get a website up now and have all my books there, and you know, you can go in and tailor, and I'll put it out there. But for now, you can Diana Benskin book at gmail.com, 
or inbox me uh, on Facebook, and I will respond gladly. All right. I, I also next? have one available on Amazon per Adua Ad Astra right now, the Too Difficulty to Success, The Life Story mm. of One West Indian Girl, per Adua All Ad right. Astra, and Spoken Words from the Mouth of the State, both on Amazon. Very nice. Where do you go from here? What's next creatively? Uh, I am dabbling. I'm trying to learn to play the piano, eh? <sighs> and I'll try, I want to write a play. I want to turn my novel into a musical play. It's set in the backdrop of the 70s. That was a nice era. So, and I want, I, I want it to juice with the West Indian flavor because we don't, I don't see the Caribbean represented in Broadway or Hollywood. So I would mm-hmm. like to someone to contact me and, and turn Per Adua at Astra into a, a, a play or a movie. It's a harrowing story. It's about my life. And I, could, I, I may not have been sitting here talking to you today once you've read Per Adua at Astra. Mm. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to your work and our conversation you write exceptionally well. Thank extremely you very much, creative. And I don't, I don't say things to say them because I'm too old to lie. You write <laughs> exceptionally well, and I really enjoy the way that you blend words. That, that last piece you did, that you Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, <laughs> that was out of this world. <laughs> Thank that you. was Thank truly you. Thank you, Dr. Ingram. Thank you. <laughs> If you ever have a show in this area, maybe even New Jersey, let me know. I'd love to come and watch you in action. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Ingram. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> all right. All right. All right, then. Any words from you before we Well, it was my absolute pleasure, and I'm humbled that, you know, I'm joining. I'm your number 388 <laughs> on, on the program. <laughs> so I do time for I'm high up on the list, and I look forward to interacting with you and your audience on a regular basis and again. All right. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right, then, everyone. Diana Benskin. You remember her name? Oh, she's going far. I know it. We're going to claim it. All right. As I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, Diana. Good night, everybody. Good night, Dr. Ingram. (laughs) Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.